All right, Justin, A through Z. L. L. I think you picked that because you knew what I was going to bring up. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, Lizzo, Lizzo, Lizzo. Lizzo has been in the news lately, if anybody did not know, because she is being sued by four of her former backup dancers. For a multitude of reasons, including religious harassment, sexual harassment, and, uh, like, what? what's the other one? Uh, harsh working conditions or something like that. I didn't hear about the religious one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, not from her. Because, so it's not just her being sued. It is her production management company, or the, the yeah, the company that handles, like, production management for her, like, live shows. And uh, I don't think it's choreographer, but I think it's like dance coordinator or something like that. Like the person that hires backup dancers and then is charge or in charge of backup dancers and all that stuff. Um, yeah, it's like all, all of them are being sued. Uh, so the religious discrimination is from the lady, like I said, that was like the, the dance coordinator or something like that. Uh, apparently she would constantly ridicule people for not being Christian. Uh, she would ridicule them for having premarital sex, all of those types of things, whilst also trying to get them to do sexually inappropriate things themselves. Like she would just randomly perform fellatio on bananas around them and all those types of things and have other inappropriate types of conversations at work and stuff like that with, you know, around them. Uh, so a lot of that's that part of that stuff is from that lady. Um, Lizzo is also being accused of sexual harassment in the regards of they went to a strip club somewhere, uh, in another country. I don't remember where, uh, and, she was pressuring her backup dancers to touch the performers, all those things. Uh, at one point, the performers were inserting bananas inside of them, and she wanted the backup dancers to pull the bananas out of performers with their mouths and stuff like that. Uh, and Lizzo has also been accused of, oddly enough, fat shaming some of the dancers, claiming that she could tell they've gained some weight and stuff like that, that they can't be doing that. Um, also accused of throwing dildos at people. Um, Lizzo is also accused of, when it comes to like the harsh working conditions and same with the production company, of to force the dancers to learn the dances, uh, more or less saying, hey, you're staying here until you learn it, uh, or otherwise we're going to fire you, so much so that some of the dancers, like, soiled themselves because they were afraid to even just take bathroom breaks um, because they had to stay and learn the dance moves and stuff wow. like that. Uh, one of the other things it was is... Uh, discrimination based on a disability. So one of the backup dancers has 
uh, had some eyesight problems that was documented and known supposedly by the production company and needed to record meetings so that because she couldn't always like see stuff or couldn't be there would have to go deal with that but would have somebody record the meeting so that she could maybe go to the doctor while the meetings were happening and stuff like that and Lizzo like freaked out about that and supposedly like went off on people about that and all kinds of stuff uh, and they were not being accommodating of said disability. Damn. Yeah. That is uh, a lot. Um, the, the the most surprising one, though, although all of it's bad, but the fat shaming one just really threw me off. Like, I just thought of all people. See, that would not be something that she would, you know, you've gained weight and being like, you can't be that heavy and dance and stuff like that. I just did not of all things. I just didn't think that would be there. But that was like the the most surprising one to me in a way, just because she has always kind of stood for you know body, body positivity, positivity. Yeah. body positivity and stuff so yeah. that was the the biggest shocker very ironic you know and, and from what i've seen some people discussing that where they think that comes into play is the fact that lizzo has now been very successful for a while that things like that end up coming from a place of a class status. You know, Lizzo's got money. And when you then look at, you know, so she can be like that because she has money. Whereas if you're poor or you're under them, as far as class goes, you can't afford to be that way. You know, Um, I'm not trying to shame our former president or anything like that, but it's kind of like when Donald Trump would call like, a women too fat. He he wasn't in peak physical condition either. I mean, just to be honest about the situation, you know, that's very much one of the situations of the pot calling a kettle black, you know, uh, and it's, but it's why it's a class situation. You know, you got money, you've got opulence, all this other stuff. Okay. You, you can be overweight if you're poor, you're just fat and lazy, you know, like it's that type of difference. Yeah. Or I'm the star. Yeah. That so mentality. what I say goes yeah. and you, you need to be this type of dancer. And why aren't you falling into these guidelines? The star has set for you, which is. Man. Yeah. Now, with all this, Lizzo's response to this was they were fired a long time ago and they're mad about it. So we'll see. I mean, if you're going to have that amount, if you're going to claim that many things in a lawsuit, you have to have evidence of something. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see where it goes. Yeah, we'll see. You know, and to be fair to Lizzo, these are just accusations. Mm-hmm. There, as, as far as as of right now, I have not seen 
any evidence of this, like, or that any evidence has directly been presented. But, you know, it's either going to be evidence comes out in a court case or evidence comes out behind closed doors and they settle it with some non-disclosures and we never know. Those are really going to be the two outcomes or no evidence comes out in a court case and nothing happens to Lizzo. You know, those are essentially the three outcomes of this. Like it's proven right. It's proven wrong. Maybe somewhere in between. Or like I said, it's proven behind closed doors where their lawyers go, look, we have this evidence and Lizzo and her production company go, well, fuck. That's a lot of evidence. Here's this amount of money. Go away. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, you never want to also be a, we don't, we don't ever want to like imply that we think that there's guilt before, like you said, any evidence or anything comes out, but man, it's always easier to do that when it's just one thing. It's really hard when it's like, well, who knows? Maybe she's innocent of, and then you got to pull a list out and and name everything. <laughs> it just yeah, if it's just one thing <laughs> from one person, all right, you you know there is some you know more gray area. But when it's twenty seven things from like four people and like all this other stuff, you're like fuck. Like you almost end up feeling like best case scenario. Fifty percent of it's true. Yeah, and then what fifty yeah, percent are you okay it. with? Yeah, but you just can't help it. it it's 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 kind of like when because I've been asked before, like, what's your favorite president? And I was like, man, that's really kind of hard to say. Like, who my favorite president would be? Because it's like, how much war crimes are you okay with? <laughs> yeah, because they've all done some war crimes. It's just. How much war criming are you okay with? Like, you know, and when it comes to certain things like presidents, if you are to having to pick one, I mean, like I said, you have to acknowledge you're okay with at least a little bit of war crimes. Like, that's just the nature of the business at this point. That's essentially been every president since like 1812. Since at least this, you know, John Quincy Adams, there's just been constant war crimes. I'm sure there were war crimes before John Quincy, too. I'm just saying, like, it's just, that's part of the role. Like, I'm surprised that's not in the presidential, like, oath. That you will commit as few war crimes as you can just be okay with. And then, like, you know, the person say, we understand that it won't be no war crimes. But, but then, I mean, this kind of brings me, uh, brings back around the whole Jonathan Major situation. A lot of people have been like offering him vindication because the woman that accused him of battery has also been arrested for battery. And they're like, see, she was arrested for battery. Therefore, he is innocent of it. I'm like, they could also both be guilty of battery. That is very much a possibility. In fact, that would not surprise me if that is what is the true story. They both did some battery. 
Yeah. Like one person being guilty does not always mean the other person is innocent. Like that's, that's a weird, weird legal standing that these people have. Well, this other person's guilty. Therefore this person can't be guilty of the exact same thing. I mean, I know a lot of people said that there was vindication for Johnny Depp in the Amber Heard trial. And I'm like, no, they still, he still sounds shitty. He still sounds like a terrible person. You know, I mean, just because Amber Heard came across as worse in the trial does not mean that Johnny Depp is just like an innocent little baby. Yep. Especially whenever you find out that a bunch of people that were fans of Johnny Depp or glad he was, you know, vindicated and all these other things tried to do a freedom of information act to find out like to get court documents and stuff like that to find out some of the other things that were brought up that we didn't necessarily see in the trial. And it comes out that Johnny Depp's legal team was trying to submit nude photos of Amber Heard as evidence you know, all kinds of shit like that, which is incredibly shitty to do. You're essentially trying to do legal revenge porn in those situations. You know, and the judge was like, no, we're not doing this. Like, no, that has no bearing on the trial. Quit acting like that is necessary. Like, come on. That's not something a great human being and his lawyers do. And to me, one of the more disturbing yeah. things that Lizzo has done in, in light of these accusations and stuff like that is the lawyer she hired is the one that defended both Bill Cosby and Chris Brown. Oh, no. Ooh. That just seems messy. Yeah, that's a bad look. Like, you don't want mm. that one. Yeah. Uh, in other news, a ton of movies have been postponed. Craven the Hunter's no longer coming out this year. Venom's coming out, I don't know, sometime next. Venom 3's coming out sometime in the next summer. Uh, they have postponed Beyond the Spider-Verse indefinitely. Um, yeah, there was... Sad about that one. And I do want to do a retraction from something I said in the Spider-Verse episode we did that when I was like, oh, yeah, they're supposedly like, you know, they've almost finished the third one. That's why it's coming out next year. Apparently, that wasn't the case. A couple of weeks after it came out, one of the, like an animator uh, that was working on the movie anonymously said, like, he's like, the movie's going to get postponed. We've barely started. And that's the thing is that was the common thought that they kind of did them back to back, you know, like as you're finishing the animation for one, you're already moving on to the next one type of situation. Apparently that's not the case. So the thought in Hollywood that it was going to get postponed anyway, and then now they're using the writer's strike and the actor's strike as reason to postpone it anyway. Uh, there is talks that Dune 2 might get pushed. Uh, there's talks that Aquaman 2 might get pushed. Because they were doing more reshoots on it. Because, you know, that's fantastic. 
So, yeah, they're probably postponing that too. Uh, what else? Some other stuff. Pretty much anything by Sony got pushed. But we'll see. Yeah, that's a lot of stuff. And in, in some positive strike news, uh, Seth MacFarlane donated a million dollars to the strike fund to help them go further. Uh, and in some actual, like, really good strike news, uh, the head of the AMPT, the AMTPA or whatever the fuck the studio group is called, uh, has reached out to the head of the WGA asking for negotiations to resume. So that's a plus. Okay. So yeah, that's, that's a good sign because apparently they were, you know, the thought was, is they were going to wait them out, you know, just wait them till October and let the, Everybody, you know, lose their houses and then, you know, they can come back to the table then. Well, all that bad press and then all the money that the writers and actors have been getting donated to them. They're like, well, fuck, they might be able to outlast us at this point. So. So that's some good news. Maybe these strikes will end end soon. Right. Okay. Hopefully so. Any other news from you guys? I don't think so. No, nothing from me. Just that that Lizzo stuff was the big one uh, this week. But no, nothing that I can think of. On that note, here's the 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 intro music. Hey, Cinefans, and welcome back to another episode of the Cinema Slayers podcast. I am Sterling, and as always, I'm joined by Heather and Justin. And tonight, we are going to be talking about what we liked, didn't like, and everything in between with the new Australian horror movie, Talk to Me. We will go spoiler-free recommendations and scores and then into a more spoiler-centric section with time codes in the description to allow you to jump around if you so require. And with all that, Heather, what are your spooktacular, spoiler-free thoughts about this here movie? <laughs> spooktacular. Um, I don't know what the fuck I was doing at that point. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I went off the rails. I'm sorry, everybody. um yeah i think uh i mean overall i would say that this was a pretty decent movie um i think there's some of the things that i think might have been done a little bit better um it i mean i don't know there were a lot of parts of the movie that were 
uncomfortable to watch, a little disturbing to watch. But I do think that um, especially our lead character and the lead actress, really great, super, super solid uh, acting from her, I would say. And um, even the supporting cast, for the most part, I think did a really great job, too. Um, Yeah, I think it was, you know, it's one of those where I knew the very basic level of what this movie was about based off of the trailer but there's definitely a lot more uh a lot more to what's going on in the story than than they show you which i appreciate that i wasn't aware of everything i should expect from this movie um they have a really good creep factor to it um they have i i think this story is told in such a way that you're not really fully specifically rooting for just one person in this movie. At least I wasn't, but that's kind of, I think a cool thing because you're seeing them all more as just very human, very flawed, very normal in a sense people. And, um, that, you know, struggle with certain things and have their own things about them. So, yeah, it's um, I, I like that they did it that way. But at the same time, it did make some of the actions of some of the characters very frustrating for me. <laughs> but I think that was the point. I think the point was to be frustrated at how they were going about some of these things. Um, yeah, I mean, there were definitely some very creepy moments to it. Um, I don't know. I, I think it was just a it was a it was a decent movie. Like, I think there's some some things about it that are a little up in the air for me that I wish were a little bit more clear, but it was, it was original. Um, it was unique and I did like that about it. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was overall, it was, it was decent. It was a pretty decent movie of the A24 movies. I mean, I wouldn't say it's the worst (laughs) by any means. Um, yeah, I think, um, I mean, I would put it up there maybe in, you know, top, probably top five A24 horror movies for me, I guess. But um, yeah, it's it's decent. It's pretty decent. Justin, what about you? So when it comes to me, I really knew nothing about this movie going in uh, except for just that you guys had mentioned it. And I really don't remember if I saw a preview for this or not. I can't remember any previews that I saw for this. Um, So I knew nothing. Um, Now I did check before I saw the movie to just kind of see how people were reviewing it. And the, and this has an incredibly high score. Like it's like 94 or 95 on tomatoes or whatever. And, you know, people were raving about it. I watched some YouTube reviews and people were some non-spoiler stuff and people were like raving about it. And I was like, could it really be that good? And after coming out of this, I think it is. I, I, thought that this was more than a decent movie. I think that this is the best horror movie of 2023. I I think it really is like, and we've got some good, we had some good ones this so far this year, evil dead rise, 
The Blackening. You know, there have been some good horror movies that have come out. But to me, this is my kind of horror movie. That This was excellent, if you ask me, like with just everything that it was doing. Like, first of all, it takes a familiar concept of this artifact or this thing, or this this item that somehow connects us with the dead or whatever the case may be. And of course, it starts as a simple thing and then chaos ensues. So you so that may be like the basic concept of the story, but this is one of the most innovative, creative concepts with that story that I think I've ever seen. I just thought that this was such an innovative way to tell this story. So I was just blown away by how creative it was. I think because of how creative they were with the story, I didn't find it so easily to predict. Like I thought that it kept it kept me on the edge of my seat. Like I was just wanting to know where it was going. What is it going to do? What are we going to do next? And stuff like that. And it made some decisions that I didn't see coming. Um, The, the, the acting performances are are all good, but make no mistake about it. uh, Sophie Wilde is the star of this movie and she really carries it. I thought she was great. She was vulnerable when she needed to be. She was determined when she needed to be. She was desperate or depressed when she needed to be like every emotion that that character needed to kind of drive this story forward. And when you're going through and seeing all the decisions that she's making, I think all of it worked for me, just given what this character was doing and you know, good on me. Like I like when uh when a horror movie says more than just what its premise is, because this is the kind of movie where I think it could have leaned heavily on its gimmick, and then beyond the gimmick, there was nothing else to say. There was nothing else to 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 be there of substance. This is a movie that could have easily done that, and probably could have skated by. To be honest with you, like the the to me, the idea and the execution of it is that creative, but it also had something to say beneath the surface. There's this real lesson about being able to communicate your grief and your depression and the inability to do that and how you and your friend circle can handle that the wrong way. Your parents can handle that the wrong way. And ultimately, if the if you're not letting the right things in, you can let the wrong things in. And ultimately, that can consume you. So I think that all of that was in there. So yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed this. I, it kept me on the edge of my seat. Uh, and, and even when it made decisions that I saw coming, it did it in such an interesting way. It moves at a very brisk pace. There's never a dull moment. I think it's, uh, it's 90 minutes. So it's in and it's out. It doesn't overstay its welcome. 
And honestly, I had a great time watching this. And I believe that the people who wrote this and the directors are like YouTubers. I want to say they are like YouTube people. So this was their first project. Man, if you had told me that this was done by experienced directors, I would have believed you. You know, I, I would have believed that, okay, this was done by somebody with some experience and some skill. But what a story. You know, I hope that this ultimately does well at the box office and it more than makes its money and everything, because what a story this is that these YouTube people, these video makers and stuff like that made this movie and came up with one of the most creative horror movies I've seen in years. So, yeah, man, I thoroughly enjoyed this. And like I said, I I believe strongly it is one of the best horror movies of the year. Um, to go into some of the things you just talked about, Justin. A, this directing these directing brothers. You want to know what one of their next projects is, Justin? Because it it'll be a big boon for you. What? Street Fighter. What? Yes. Yo, these guys okay. are now I'm excited. A new street. I'm excited. Um, I'm excited. If these people with their skill are doing it, they watched, might actually do it justice. Did you watch any of their YouTube stuff? No, I okay. should have, but I did not get a chance to. They do, do that. a lot of fights and a lot of like YouTube okay violence, like fight stuff, like little shorts on YouTube. Okay, and okay, that that's actually why they were tapped to do Street Fighter was that shit. That they would okay. Do. And see, uh, just from what you're cool. telling me, I would have expected this movie to be like this real, like fast paced, yada, 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 yada. But man, like it, this movie was patient with what it was doing with the blood and the gore and the and the tension and all of that kind of stuff. I, I'm very, sh- I was shocked when I heard that these were YouTube people. And now I'm even more shocked that they're, they're people who do like action stuff. I, I mean, man, they showed such patience in this movie and really adapted those techniques of less is more. And I think it was very effective. Um. Also, do you guys know the Australian kids TV show Bluey? Or know of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's I a don't. kid's show that apparently a lot of adults like because the adults aren't idiots. Like they they actually talk to their kids. And it's called Bluey because it's about Australian shepherds, like blue healers, you know. Um what the 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 concept first started with one one of its executive producers. So that's just another weird little tie-in to things. Is uh, an executive producer. Uh, he also plays uh did you guys ever see that little Marvel one shot of Thor during Civil War where he was like with his roommate? Yeah. The roommate's the guy I'm talking about. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. They yeah. were great. Okay. Uh, but yeah, he's one of the guys that came up with the concept of this movie. Um, you know, executive producer, one of the biggest children shows in our modern era, played the roommate for some Thor shit and also came up with this movie. Guy seems creative as fuck. 
Exactly. Um, like what? Like what even yeah. is in this man's brain? Wow. Um, but also, I'll jump into box office real quick. How much do you think this movie costs to make? Twelve million. Heather, do you have a guess, or do you know, and you just don't want to say so? Um, I feel like I didn't. I'm going to go with eight. Four point seven. Whoa! Mm. This movie was made for four point seven million. Got That's shown impressive. at the uh, Adelaide Film Festival in Australia. Got a lot of buzz there. I think it, then it went to Cannes. Got a lot of buzz there. Ended up with a bidding war for distribution in a twenty four one to you know release it and whatnot. Uh, but yeah, four point seven million dollar movie made ten wow. plus million opening weekend. It's probably going to get a sequel. Hell it's, yeah! It's yeah, it Hell doubled yeah. doubled its budget opening weekend. Hey, they can pump like they'll they'll easily double the budget for the second one. And give it way more marketing because it'll be fine. And you this love is to see it, man. This you is love what to see it. I've talked about before. When there's a reason why a lot of directors, when they're starting off and all this other stuff, do horror movies. Horror movies can be low fuck budget movies. Like, and then somehow this movie only costs like $2.7 million more than Pooh, Blood, and Honey. That's unreal. It looks unreal. Miles away. It looks so professional and good and everything. My goodness, man. This, This is like. Man is man. This might be my crawl of this year. If I be mean, like, Ooh, like Justin going with that hidden gym. It's man, not my hidden gem. This, too no, bad. No, no too I'm not. Bad. I, there's a movie right now. My hidden gym is this movie called Polite Society. Hmm. Super good movie. It's really fucking great. Uh. Yeah, that's a movie that I haven't really seen anybody talk to. I went and saw it in theaters the, the weekend it came out. It's fucking fantastic. Uh, I'll talk to you more about it afterwards, Justin. Cool. I'll, all I'll say is it's in the normal place that you would go to watch movies I own. Um, is all I'm saying on that. Uh, but I thought this movie was really good. I'm not quite as high as you are Justin and I think I'm still a little under you Heather but I did think it was really good I think the problems I had with this movie had to be with the specificity that's not how you say that word uh specificity yeah that word (laughs) uh of the of the rules for the artifact um because it's this weird artifact of unknown origins all this other shit but they have shit tied down to the second as far as rules go. You know what I mean? It has all these things. And that part kind of bugged me because it, it's kind of up there with the rules for gremlins where you're like, oh, if they get wet, they multiply. All right. That makes sense. You know, that's kind of universal. Uh, if they get hit by sunlight, they die. And like, OK, if they eat after midnight, does the magic have time zones? Does the magic understand daylight savings time? But then when does that that part wear off? Because it's just after midnight. Theoretically, all time is after midnight. So when can they start eating? When you get that weirdly specific, it bothers me. 
Now, supposedly, and this is why I kind of want sequels for this movie. Apparently, they built a whole like lore Bible for this hand. And they were like barely any of it's in this movie. So maybe if they go into a sequel and they do something, but like they actually hash out why those rules are there or all this other stuff, or maybe do a prequel that's like only like five years before of like people doing trial and error. Like, and that's how they figured it out. Like, oh, you were in it for this long and then that's bad, but I was only in it for this long and I'm okay. You know, something like that, maybe I'll dig it because it's like 90 seconds. Well, if this thing's like 600 years old, what was 90 seconds back then? It's actually different than it is now. Like, you know what I mean? So it's, that's why I end up getting bothered by this movie is how specific they were about the rules of this item. Because I'm like, does it come with instructions? Like, what the fuck? Like, that, that's what bothered me about this movie. And I understand that's a weird hang up, but I think it's a hang up that this movie invited by being as specific as it was. Now, outside of that, I did really enjoy this movie. I thought it effectively used tension. I thought it effectively used its timing. You know, it, it it's right up there. My golden rule of why 90 minute movies are so fucking great to me. Because especially when you get to kind of some dumb shit, like this is kind of a dumb premise. If you really break it down and all this other stuff, like you grab this artificial hand and you can see dead people, but they can get in you, but they don't get in you this way. It's kind of dumb a little bit, but in a 90 minute movie, you're not really giving me a reason to go. Nah, you dumb. You're just kind of, telling your story you're getting in you're getting out you know and and then you know if they do make this a franchise sure you can expand upon some stuff later but like i i did appreciate that this movie did not while the movie is playing i'm not sitting here going well that's kind of still dumb a little bit because like i said it's kind of dumb on paper i'm not saying it's dumb in practice it's just kind of dumb on paper it's a silly concept you know but I, I, I think this is, it, it ends up being a very effective movie. The acting is really great for especially being a bunch of teenagers. Great acting. Uh, this may be a spoiler, but I don't think it is really. This movie is also kind of an allegory for uh, teenagers experimenting with drugs or experimenting with alcohol. And I think it did that very effectively. I think it did it in a way that like it follows is also about sexually transmitted infections and stuff like that, you know? So I, I dug the way it did it or like how the Duke is an allegory for grief. You know, I think it effectively did the same thing. And, and, and by doing it like something like that, I think it becomes universal in a lot of ways. And I appreciate that something like that a little bit more than some of these movies that are like allegories for mental health, because like some of these allegories for mental health end up being problematic for the, some of the mental health things that they are trying to tackle. And when you do it like this, I don't think you have as many issues with it. You know, whenever it's something like 
you know, teens experimenting with drugs and alcohol. I think that that's a little bit safer because that's been something that's been an issue or is something that at least needs to have an open discussion, you know, for a while and stuff like that. So I, I thought it was very effective in those ways. Um, I like how this movie was not really CGI heavy. Most of the stuff in it was a practical effect or if it was CGI or digitally enhanced or something like that, it's minute. It's not going like, Oh, look at this ghost walk through this wall and do this shit. It's some camera angles. It's fuzzy shit. It's somebody in prosthetics. Like it becomes a little bit more effective in that way. And I think something like monsters and ghosts and stuff like that, when you have a physical person there that's just modified with some prosthetics and makeup or maybe just slightly hazed out, you know, where they kind of fucking blur them and whatever they're using to edit the, the, the movie, it becomes really effective because then you, you get more presence and that possibility of imminent danger because you're, you're giving the spirit a corporeal form, even if it's not physical. And I think that that adds a lot of depth to everything. And I really kind of dug that in this movie. Uh, my cat is trying to break a door down. I don't know if anybody hears that, but I hear it. But my cat is trying to rip a door literally apart. Um, And I, I think for the most part, the story was effective. Like I said, I have some tiny issues here and there, but I mean, overall, I've seen a lot worse A24 horror movies. I mean, this could have been, this had all the makings of a potential Midsummer all over again, and it wasn't. I know Justin liked Hereditary, but for me, I was dreading that it could be Hereditary all over again. I did. I did enjoy this movie, though. I think just a little bit less than you guys. Just because of the particular things that would give me or someone like me hangups that may not give you guys hangups. But I also give this movie credit because even though I had those hangups, this movie was able still to more or less win me over. I was still able to enjoy the movie. I was still able to not just think about my hangups the entire movie. This movie did give me other things to think about while I'm watching it. So I do also give that movie that, or this movie that, that credit too, for at least being able to push me beyond those things. Uh, recommendations and scores. Yep. Yep. Recommendations and scores. Uh, Justin, go. Yeah, it's going to be a big recommend for me, especially if you're a horror fan. I mean, I don't think you can do better than this right now. Like in 2023, I think it's that good. It's very creative concept. It's like you said, a very relatable concept. It's easy to understand. It's easy to follow what's happening. You understand character motives and decisions based on what's going on and the story that they give you. So all of that is there. And like I said, it is so good at building tension and making you wait until like, I felt like 
it, it was so good at making you wait, but you just knew something bad was coming. And when the moment happens, you were just like, damn, that was a good moment. Like, like they, they built to these moments so incredibly well. And, and like I said, just you talking about the budget of it and me thinking about the execution of the movie, they just did so much with less. And sometimes less is more. And I think that this just defines that. And I have always been a person who is a fan of horror movies like that. You know, that's what I liked about Evil Dead Rise was that it, it didn't go, it didn't have to go super over the top with the gore. Though that is a tradition of the franchise, the they they felt they they toned it down because it better helped it better match the tone of the story. Well, this is kind of uh, in a similar light. It's not like it's just a bloodbath gore fest, but the gore is calculated and it's very methodical when it uses its moments. It's very methodical how it builds the tension. It's very precise, maybe is a be- even a better word, precise. Everything was so precise, and it just hit almost every bullseye by the time I got to the end of it. It's like everything it wanted to do, everything it tried to execute, it almost just executed everything flawlessly with just maybe a few misses here and there, but damn, you look at the, but, but, you know, it's like you at the shooting range and when you bring the, 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 the aimer up to you and see how well you did, you hit the target almost every time, you know? And I think that that's the mark of a very good film. And, and that's what makes this a very good film. It, it, it came in, it had a fresh, interesting concept that made it feel new and adventurous and, and, and just a lot of fun. It had some amazing fun with the premise, and then it was done, and you were out of there. So I think if you're just looking for a, a good uh, 90 minutes to go to a movie, I think that this is worth it. And I think also experience it in the theater, getting it with the surround sound and getting it with and being in there with people and hearing people scream and hearing people I mean, there were times in the movie it was just pin drop quiet because everybody was just hanging on what was happening. So I think it was great to be in a theater and be a part of that atmosphere and experiencing it with other people. I think that that was part of the fun as well. So, I mean, yeah, you could watch this at home and chilling and on your phone half the time and shit. But I think going to the theater will this was a very fun experience going to the theater. So I hope that a a person would go and experience it in the theater, because I think it really helps to see it that way and to have your full attention on it. Uh, With that being said, I will go, I'll go 93 um, dead kangaroo or kangaroos that you should have killed out of a hundred. Heather, what about you? Yeah, I mean, I think that I would uh, I would recommend this, especially to horror movie fans. I think that it's a, a unique horror film, and I think that that is to be appreciated. So, yeah, I, I would recommend it. I think 
Hearing a little bit more what you were talking about earlier, Sterling, with your like hangups you had with this movie, I'm I'm thinking like the reason for my conflict that I have of this movie is more just the fact of I feel like there there were hardly any good decisions made by any of the characters in this movie. <laughs> and I think that that's kind of why I'm like, I, I liked the story they told, you know, and I liked uh, kind of like how they fleshed out some of the characters. But I just feel like at almost every turn, there was just a bad decision made. And I think that's why I just I wasn't used to that, I guess, like usually in a horror movie you at least have that one smart person right or that one very person that comes in handy that kind of you know comes to their senses and is you know smart about what they do in the movie and I just feel like a lot of times in this movie when it's at a particular point yeah each character does something just just makes a bad decision <laughs> and I think maybe that's what my hang up is with it because otherwise yeah like you guys were saying the story of it is really good it's very interesting it has a lot of those creepy elements and even like the dark um you know tone of the movie like the dark nature of it and visuals of it are so dark the entire way through and um and that's cool that looked cool too I liked how it was very ominous looking in it as well but um, but yeah, I think that maybe that's the reason that I'm not at like, oh, it's a great movie. You know, I, maybe maybe that's it. And I think that you can make the argument for they didn't make good decisions for a reason or they didn't make good decisions if you look at it in the scheme of the um, underlying message of the movie. But in the in the actual events happening in the movie, I'm just like, oh, man, everybody should have done something different here. <laughs> Like, and yeah, that's, that's kind of just where I would say, I feel like there wasn't really a whole lot of character growth in that particular area. Again, the acting is great and the characters themselves are interesting. Um, but yeah, it just feels like a lot of just not making good choices throughout the movie. Um, but other than that, yeah, I, I really did think that they did a lot of really cool things with this movie um, and the concept of it and the idea of it's really cool. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I'll uh, go with. Hmm. I mean, it's also just so impressive that those guys from YouTube are the ones who directed it. <laughs> I think that's just really cool. But um, I think I'm going to go with. 78 um uh 78 medium hands out of 100 I think I I didn't have issues like you did I guess Heather with like some of the decisions and stuff I think they made sense for at least having them be teenagers and also like I said, the allegory aspects of it, I think, kind of settled some of those for me. Um, but then I have my own, you know, sterling hangups. Uh, but overall, I think it's an impressively made movie. I think it's well paced. I think it's got a great time because I think technically the runtime is 93 minutes. Super fantastic. 
Uh, I think the visuals were very good. I thought they had some very unique shots in it. Uh, I, I I agree with you, Justin. I think they used the the gore really effectively in this movie, um, and appropriately for what kind of movie this is. Uh, and I think that I I, I like the fact that they went more along the lines, I, I guess, of ghosts in this, and didn't lean too much on the whole idea of demon possession because I think that that's such a common thing that. I mean, fuck, we're getting another Exorcist movie this year. I mean, it's, you know, demon possession's just oh so vogue. And, yeah, I'm glad they didn't go that route. And in return, I think it pays off in this movie because I think that that's how it separates itself from these these other movies and stuff like that. And overall, I, I, I did enjoy it. I thought... I thought I was going to be the lowest person here with my score. Apparently, Heather wanted to swoop in. Oh. And just be like, oh, fuck you, Sterling. I'm going to go lower than you. What's happening here? I don't know how I, I feel know. about this. Uh, what did you end up giving it? I'm sorry, like a 78? 78. Right? Yeah. I'm giving it an 82. Uh. 82 horny ghosts that love to suck some toes out of 100. Uh, okay. Oh, man, I fucked all this up. Okay, 78 plus 80. And you gave it a 93, right, Justin? Yep. Uh, okay, so the overall Cinescore for this movie is an 84. I like that. Spoilers? Yeah. Yep. Spoilers! I hate to do this to you, Justin, but I'm jumping to the end of the movie. Uh, but I'm doing <laughs> it to, to ask a question, though. So there are two prevailing theories of what happens at the end of this movie, and I want to ask y'all's opinion on it. Do you think Mia jumped? Or do you think that the sister pushed Mia to save Riley? Because both possibilities are there. My thought was that she jumped. Same. And I think when you, if you connect, when you look at what happened in the narrative, I think most of it supports that she jumped. The one thing I like about it, I think she jumped too. Uh, but the thing I like about it is the outcome of the movie actually does not change either way. Yeah. Like it actually doesn't affect the narrative. So in those ways, yeah, when, it's, cool. when it is vague like that, but it doesn't affect the overall outcome of the story, to me, that's, that's when writers are, giving, are being vague or directors or writers, whoever, are being vague to allow for audience interpretation. That's when I feel it. When the narrative isn't completely impacted by you being vague. So that's why I think yeah. in this instance, when it's insanely vague and you don't actually know because you don't see it actually happen. 
I'm fine with it because either way, the movie ends the same way. Like, because mm. it's only like 30 more seconds till the end of the movie, you know, but it doesn't change the end. It actually is that's the same true. end. And I think that that's why I'm fine with it. Now, further well, question. Well, it's funny. No, go well, ahead. I will say just real quick on that. Um, I actually was reading some articles about this movie earlier this week and one of them actually did say, oh, yeah, the sister pushed her. And then the other article said, oh, she jumped before the sister could save them. So it's interesting that even articles being written about this are having different takes on that. And I, honestly, like I had never I didn't even consider the fact that the sister might have pushed her until, you know, talking about it earlier this week and seeing that article. And I was like, huh that's it, it could have happened that could have been what it was it's just not i think kind of like what jason said i think the what's happening right before that especially and everything unfolding in this it makes more sense if she jumped and sacrificed herself but yeah it, it was just interesting to me that two different articles had very different takes on the ending go ahead justin um, Fancy you want to say something yeah I just think if you are a person that thinks that she was pushed, then I would say that makes the movie of lesser quality than if you are a person who believes that she jumped because most of the narrative supports if she jumps, then it's a full circle kind of moment with what we were shown throughout the narrative. If she jumps, if she got pushed, it's sort of, I mean, could that happen? It's like you said, could that happen? Yes. But, but narratively it doesn't fit that she got pushed as well as her jumping in my opinion. I think there's one big like clue. I don't want to say clue. Uh, to me, the reason why I am team she jumped is throughout the movie when the mom or the ghost of the mom or something impersonating the mom or however you like whatever it ended up ends up being because it doesn't directly say and that's fine. Throughout the movie, it says, you need to save Riley. I'll protect him. I'll keep him safe here. You need to save Riley. I'll keep him safe. I'll protect him. And then they're at that scene. And the ghost mom puts her hands on, on Mia's shoulders. And she's saying, like, it's okay. You need to help him. I'll protect him. And then she follows that up again by says, and says, he will be with us. For the very first time in the whole movie, the mom ghost refers to the plural, which is also more or less the big bad of the movie, is that collection of ghosts or spirits or an entity impersonating multiple ghosts, maybe referring to itself in the plural because it's referred to in the plural multiple times in the movie. But for the very first time, Right before the scene where she's pushed or jumps or whatever, the ghost changes to the plural. And to me, when I saw that happen, I saw that as that was the slip up 
Because right after that, it goes to Mia's eyes. And she's got like tears in her eyes and she's just like staring forward, like with focus and whatever. And the next thing you know, you're in the POV of the car and you see something hit it. But to me, that's Mia realizing it's not her mom. That is that, that you know, that collective entity. And that she's of just done all this yes. for, for nothing. Yeah. She realized she had been bamboozled. And at that point, the only way to save herself, to save Riley, to save everybody is to, you know, is to jump because she has been so corrupted. She thinks she has killed her dad. She was about to kill Riley again, you know, or try to kill Riley, all these things. That she realized she was so corrupted at that point that there was no redemption. You know, uh, and that's, that, that, that's why I'm on team. She jumped as I did pick up on that. Cause she says, uh, he will be with us or something like that. I mean, maybe I'm getting the word wrong, but I know at that point it refers to the referral or to the plural. And that's something that ghost and they had not done the whole movie. And to me, that was like a really cool little clue, you know, like a really cool moment of, that ghost slipping up at that moment. To me, that was also the tell that that's not her mom. It's just impersonating the mom. Yeah. But that's, that's one of those like little tiny details. I super loved. Uh, and that's, that's a very good observation. Like, um, that, that you, yeah, because the, she definitely, that spirit definitely said that. So Yeah. That that's a that's a good observation. I like that because I was actually up until that point thinking, oh, she's going to kill this kid like for the demons. Like I I was in on the you know she's being tricked. You know what I mean? Like I was in on that, and I actually thought the movie was going to kill the kid as a part of like you know the sacrifice they wanted or however you want to word it to like you know condemn him to them. And I was like, oh, the movie's going to do it. This kid's going to be like tortured and, you know, by these evil spirits just because Mia's dumb. I was like, that's really fun. I, I was actually really kind of amped for that in a morbid way because I was like, <laughs> movies don't end like this. I was up for it, you know, um, but I don't hate this ending. Like I said, because it becomes a twist ending that's, like the characters in, you know what I mean? It becomes like that, that realization ending, you know? And I think that that's why I'm still okay with this ending, even though I was really kind of digging that it's going to be a super fucked ending. Um, but no, I just really kind of dug that. And I was like, you said that I like, I did that whole dog thing of like, I'm like watching the movie and I tilted my head a little bit. And I'm like, she just went plural. Didn't she? Huh? mysterious um but uh i guess what i'll do real quick i i i know justin that you aren't the biggest fan of me always jumping to the ending sometimes but i i had the questions to ask with this one that's why that's why i did that (laughs) it's all good i don't i mean i don't i don't care it's just you know i just (laughs) noticed that that's what you do yes (laughs) 
But you did say it sometimes throws you off a little bit because like you always end up thinking of it like beginning to end. And then I'm just in there going, fuck all this. We're starting at the end of the movie and then we'll go back. Uh, <laughs> but no, I like I had the questions that, that there was more of a, a, a reason for it instead of me just arbitrarily going into the movie. Um, I guess I get so expi- excited about spoilers that I'm going always to the biggest spoiler of the whole movie, the end. Every time I'm like, oh, let's go to the biggest spoiler. Uh, but no, with this movie, I really dug, like I was saying, the, the aspects of it that, like I said, were an allegory for teen drug or alcohol use. Because I liked how this was essentially a version of a party drug. You go to a party, you do it, you know, but you know, everybody's like, oh, but don't do it too much. It's fine. Just do a little bit. Don't do too much. It's fine. But as is, is the case with, with humans in real life and all these other things, yeah, you can be at a party where everybody's drinking or people are doing drugs and all this other stuff and everybody's fine. But also have one person that's a little, that might be a little susceptible to, to it. To it might have a family history of abuse or might have, you know, genetically speaking, a, a, a precondition to more likely to become addicted, you know, or just be in the mental state that leans in towards addiction as in having a tragedy or something like that happening in your family and dealing with that maybe in unhealthy ways, you know. And so I liked how that was like kind of the story with why, Mia got kind of hit harder than the other kids, you know, and why she became so obsessed with it when other people didn't. Other people were able to use it and be fine. And then, you know, they could go two weeks and they're like, yeah, I'll do it again. That's fine. But she didn't. She needed it the next day. She needed it the next, you know, two days. She needed it constantly from that point on. You know, I liked that because it kind of shows that the reality of sometimes how addiction is, you know, a ton of people could be drinking. Yeah. One of them's an alcoholic, even if they're just starting, they don't know it yet. They don't realize it yet. you know that it's right now? They're just drinking with their friends, but that is the beginning of being an alcoholic, you know? And I, I dug that because that's exactly how this movie portrayed that hand, you know? And then I really liked it whenever it came to Riley using it. Because everybody's like, no, you're a kid. You're too young to do this. You're fucking allowing spirits into your body. Is there really an age in which that's dangerous and then when it's also safe? No. But I liked how they treated it like there was. Like, no, you're you're 15. We're 16. We can handle this. You can't possibly handle it at the, the young age of 15. You know? And that's kind of how people act like with alcohol sometimes. You'll have a bunch of fucking 17-year-olds telling the 16-year-old they're too young to drink. And it's it's arbitrary at that point. Like, is there really any moral high ground at that point? No, not really. You know? And then I like the fact that Mia, who is an alcoholic, like essentially the alcoholic or the drug user point of view in this movie, uh, was like, hey... He's like, Mia, come on, let me do it just, just a little bit. And that's more or less like her going, okay, well, 
right, you can't you can't do you know you can't do a keg stand, but but you can have a beer. Your sister's out of the room. You can have a beer because I'm the cool friend. And then you know the kid who's younger, you know, it ends up going worse for them because you know it's a different social situation. There's more anxiety and more peer pressure to maybe to look cool for older kids, all these other things, shit goes wrong, and then it gets dangerous real fast. And that's what happens with Riley in this. I really fucking dug that. It really kind of lines up with some of that stuff. This, to me, was a more effective version of, you know, this is your brain on drugs than any of those fucking commercials were back in the day. You know, I remember when I was a teenager, there was one of those anti-weed commercials that was like a girl's like pregnant and she's like 16 and pregnant. And she's like, we only got high once. Apparently smoking weed led to her being pregnant. You know, and that's how dumb those commercials were with it, because they were out of touch with how the reality is sometimes. You know, I've always had this theory of when it comes to the anti-drug mentality of high schools and, and schools like that, I, I, I've always had a theory that they actually help create drug users because they, because it, it, to me, it's the same thing that happens with abstinence only education because you lie to the kids. You don't tell them the truth. You know, they're like, hey, if you do cocaine once, you will be a cocaine addict. You will blow $9,000 a day trying to get cocaine. You know, all this shit. They're like, if you smoke weed once, you will be addicted. And that's a gateway drug. You will be doing heroin within two months of the first time you smoke a joint. Same with sex. They're like, hey, the first time you have sex, the girl will get pregnant. You will get AIDS, syphilis. H, you know, you will get every fucking STD possible, you know, all these things. So then what ends up happening, because that's what you're taught, what ends up happening is you'll see somebody smoke weed. They're, they're not addicted to heroin now. They're not, they're, they're not doing all this. They just smoked a joint. So then you're like, well, okay, they lied about that. And then you smoked that joint. Then you end up wondering, did they also lie about cocaine? then maybe you do some coke. Like you end up wondering what else did they lie about? You know, it's the same with like sex. Like the first time you have sex and it turns out you don't have any STDs and nobody's pregnant. You're like, well, fuck all this shit. They lied about. Then you end up getting STDs because you know, you become stupid. And I, I, I say all that because like, I like this way this movie portrayed it. It showed that there are both, Society speaking and, you know, all these things, there are essentially good and bad things about some of this stuff. Some people can go to a party, have a couple of beers, have fine, you know, wait it out, get sober and go home. No harm, no foul. Some people binge drink and they get fucking loaded and then they try to drive home and they are dangerous. You know, it, 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 both things can be true about the exact same party. And I like that that's kind of what this movie showed with that stuff. You know, you had the two people that own the hand and were like running the hand parties and all this other stuff. Hand party sounds like a weird sex party. Um, 
but they'd go and they'd do those things and they've done it, you know, countless times. They did it like three or four times one night. You know, they're doing it all the time. They never had what happened to Mia. You know what I mean? Like, so I liked how realistic this movie was towards things. And I think that if you are going to be educational about things like that, I, I, I think the realistic approach is always to do or is always better. And I, I like the way this movie did it. Um, now to the rules. Where I think it bothers me is the lighting the candle and blowing out the candle aspect of the rules. I don't think bothered me. Because like candle symbology when it comes to occult or spirits and all these other things isn't that out there. You know, seances, you light a bunch of candles to like, you know, open the door to the spirit realm, all these things. So the candle part didn't bother me, even though it's still very specific, that didn't bother me. What did bother me, like I said, was the whole 90 seconds is fine. Like A, because that's a universal rule. Like 90 seconds is fine. Everybody's fine for 90 seconds. You know, all this other stuff. They showed in this movie that Riley wasn't fine in 90 seconds. But like, you know, but I'm willing to chalk that up to them. They don't actually know. That's just like the rules they're using. And then they came across somebody that wasn't. That's kind of fair. But how did they know what phrases to say? Like these were very specific phrases that whole talk to me and I let you in. Those are very specific phrases that if this thing is passed down for decades and all this other stuff, the game of telephone alone dictates that those phrases would have gotten messed up by this point and nobody would be able to use them. Yeah, that's true. I just want to know how they get to these phrases. Like, how do they know? Now, I do think there might be some simple explanations in the movie or in future movies. It could be that because there is a bunch of writing all over the hands. And it or all over the hand and maybe the other one. I don't know. You don't really see it much, but. It could actually kind of list it all out. It could just like say all over the hand and maybe multiple languages like talk to me. And I let you in and all these languages and all these things. And maybe through trial and error, somebody figured it out. That's kind of fair. But for this movie, they don't really spell that out. And with the sheer specificity, fuck, I can't say that word to save my life. It's kind of like if I have to spell the word necessary, I can never do it. Um, but when they get that specific with these phrases, that's just weird to me. That this is something that can be passed along. You know, but it has that specific phrasing. That bothers me a little bit. And that was one of my hangups with it. How how controlled the wording was on some of those things. Bothered me. Um, I guess one final question. Once again... Gonna fuck with Justin a little bit. I'm gonna jump back to the ending of the movie. Back to the ultimate ending of the movie. Uh, what hand do you think is that the, they have in Greece? Uh, 
Like, mm. are you saying is that the 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 hand that we were dealing with, or is that the other hand of this person? I I mean, there to me, there's three possibilities. It's the same hand, it's the other hand, or it's just a different hand. Because yeah, like theory, a different medium's hand or something. Well, but that's the thing is they don't actually know what the hand is from. That's just the theory they have or the story they heard or whatever. It could be something else entirely. There could be 10,000 hands running around for all we know. But I'm just asking, like, what, what, what do you think? Do you think it's the other hand? Like, let's just say that the lore was right or their, their version of the lore was right. That there was, you know, both hands. Or, you know, so do you think it's the other hand? Do you think it, it's, it's just a different hand in general? Or do you think it's the same hand? Hmm. I mean, I'm going to go with it is a this the opposite hand on the same medium. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it really makes much of a difference given what happened, but I mean, just entertaining the question, I, I mean, I would say it was probably the other hand. Like if we were dealing with the right hand the whole time, then maybe that was the left. And since we were in a different place, we were overseas somewhere. And if you go by the theory that the movie gave you, which is that this was from someone who, that these were the hands of somebody who could make that connection with the ghost world or whatever, I would just assume it's one body and that's another hand in another place, you know. I think I hope if they make a sequel, that's what it is. Yeah. Cause I don't like the idea of a hand in Australia mm. that these kids know they need to destroy would somehow end up in Greece. Cause I mean, I, well, I'm assuming it's in Greece cause they're speaking Greek. So yeah, that would bother me if the Australian hand ended up in Greece because that's a trip. But if it's the other hand, I actually kind of like that idea. I like the fact that it's all wrong and it's there. There's dozens of hands all over the place. That's my own theory. I like that idea. Uh, Justin spoilers go. All right. So kind of uh, what you were talking about with just this concept. And I loved all of that. I loved the whole drug use allegory. And I just like the idea of because anytime you have a film like this and and, and don't get, get it twisted. There's been many of films like this where you have an artifact or we're playing a game or we're playing, you, you know, why does the Ouija, why does the Ouija board allow you to connect with the spirit? You, you know, like we see these things a lot, like these items or these artifacts that allow you to somehow tap into another world, the spirit world, another dimension, etc. But I think what I loved about this is, is that they took that concept and said, like you were saying, Sterling, what if it's a party drug and we've got all these teenagers essentially taking a hit of possession 
you know, that's essentially what we were doing. You know, get a little bit of hit of this possession. It won't, you know, it, it, it won't hurt that bad. And the rush of that and the sort of out of body yet in, in, enter the enter the body experience that it was creating was sort of like it was synonymous with how a drug is at a party and stuff like that. So I thought that all of that was so cool. I thought that that was just something that I've never seen done before with this concept. And so that was neat. And and, and like you said, I think what I loved about the Mia character is that because of the tragedy of what happened to her mother and what she was going through. And you saw her kind of do these things where she's kind of trying to talk to her friend, but the friend is on the phone talking to the boyfriend, whatever. And then you also had the father who was also keeping things from her. So you got the sense that they weren't communicating very well either. So this was somebody looking for an outlet and just found an outlet in the wrong place. You know, this is like that person who finds that drug. And like you said, the pathway to addiction, this is how it can happen is you've kind of got this person at a weakened state. We're not handling this grief or this tragedy in a healthy way. Um, and, and it was, it was, and it wasn't just her friends, her father, it was her too, holding that stuff in and just not, um, not expressing those things in a healthy way. So I think even that sort of speaks to the title of this talk to me. I think that it was very, um, that the purpose of that title is not just you hold the hand and say, talk to me. And then the, the, the ghost connects with you. I think there was this, uh, there's the underlying message of that too, of, the need to communicate these things, the need to find a better way to communicate your grief, your tragedies, what's bothering you, et cetera, or you will find the wrong outlet, the wrong release. So you will have a dependency on something that maybe is not a solution. So this was Mia was a character that, not only suffered that tragedy, but she kept talking about being alone and she always felt alone. She always felt like nothing was there. So the moment she got a hit of this possession and the the ghost sort of posed as her mom and she sort of thought it was her mom, she tried to hold on to that and had to have it and everything like that. And I love how... Whenever we get to the the little brother, Riley was his name, right? Yeah, when we get to Riley and, and he's taking a hit and I just love how masterfully that all played out. That was just, that has got to be, to me, that is one of the most memorable scenes of this year in a movie. Oh, yeah. Like, because, because they waited and they waited and they built and they built and they're showing you all these things. You're having all these character moments and and they're dropping clues about what's going to happen at the end. And I'll get back to some of those clues in a minute. I like the clue you found, Sterling, but I think there are even more clues in this movie as to why our character jumped. But 
but you know, it's building and it's building and it's building these characters and they do the thing, they do the possession. And I love how they show you the, the, the possession drug, we'll call it, so to speak, the, the, the hand possession drug. I love how you got to see it play out the first time and nothing happened. You know, it was cool. You know, everything was fine that first time we did it. And I think, like you said, back to that drug analogy, how, you know, the first couple of times shit can be all right. You know, nothing happened. We all had fun. I was just with my friends. We had a good time. It was cool. And I love how it's just building, building and building. And when it got to that moment, where Riley took that hit and whenever she saw that it was, it was possibly her mother and the way that she held on to the hand and didn't, and it didn't allow Riley to release in time or whatever. And then shit just went awry. And that whole scene where he's, bashing himself up against walls and just everything that was happening that and them trying to get control of it and not. And there's just blood and a a mulched face and just (laughs) devastation everywhere. Man, that was such a great scene. And what made it great wasn't even so much the gore and the blood and, uh, and his mulched face. All of that was on point. But the fact that they made you wait for it, The fact that they built and built and built and you didn't know what was going to happen. They did a whole montage of everybody getting a hit of this ghost possession and they made you wait, man. And just when we got to the last person, shit went awry. And I like how we didn't have to do all these different possessions and have a ton of different deaths and all of this other stupid shit. That one was so impactful to our characters, you know, it we we saw how it affected the mom. We saw how it affected the sister. We saw how it affected Mia. We that one event was so great because it drove the rest of the movie, and you didn't need this high ass body count or all this stupid shit that a lot of these horror movies think you need. That one event was so good. It was so great how they built to it, but then the aftermath of it leads to these character paths and these character journeys. And it all spans from that one event. And if that is not mastery of how you can make one incident, and nobody died. The kid was still alive. Like, that to me is masterful storytelling. You got the gore. You got the, the violence of the scene and everything like that. But it was so impactful, not only in the moment, But as the movie went on, tell me what scene in a horror movie has done that effective, has been that effective with just one scene where we had a victim that didn't even die. Well, that's that's a very good point, though, Justin, that you bring up that like I I guess I didn't connect with this, that most horror movies, especially when they deal with teenagers, end up going like the final destination route mm-hmm. where they're getting picked off one by one throughout the movie. And that's what's yeah. creating the, the, the tension and all this other stuff is that inevitability of death or that you're next with death, all of those things. This movie really is centered around saving the one person from just not dying. 
Like exactly. they were badly injured and just let's save them from, you know, from dying. That, that yeah, that's a very good point that I did not, I, I, I didn't piece that together whilst watching it. But like when you bring that up, like yeah. my first thought when you were like, oh, most horror movies wouldn't go that route. My first thought was Final Destination where they're like, yep, we're going to pick off these kids one by one throughout the entire movie, you know? Yeah. And I mean, that's just even the fact that we had, a, like you said, we had a bunch of teens here and we didn't have to kill everybody to make a point. And then the movie and what I loved is the, the and it speaks to kind of the unpredictability of this film, because I totally thought that that's where we were going. And it was playing on my instincts and what I have seen so many times. But oddly, it becomes sort of this mystery thing of, okay, is that her mom or is it not her mom? Is the does the spirit mean well or does it not mean well? There's even parts where it sort of becomes, okay, what exactly are we dealing with? Is she possessed still or is she not like what is happening? So it even sort of becomes that where we're just kind of trying to figure out, okay, what is the motive of what's happened and everything like that? So I just thought that it was such effective storytelling. Like it's a horror movie, just quite like anything, unlike anything I've seen in just a long ass time. And so like we're, and so as we're telling this story and me is all apologetic and everything. And I just like how still that dependency on, Oh, I, I saw my mother. Oh, that was, this is solving my problem. This thing that is not my mom that I think is my mom is solving my problem. And like you said, Sterling, I got to get more of that. I got to connect again. I got to keep holding on to that because this is what I've been needing. And it just wasn't, you know, it, it just wasn't what the character needed, but you could, but you understood how desperate this character was and why she thought that is um, what, what she needed. So I, I loved all of that. Um, and, and just even like the, the, the little shit that you think they were going to do, they just didn't like whenever she's talking to, um, her friend's boyfriend and they decide, okay, we're going to go to go come back to my place together and all of that stuff. And, and, and instantly you're like, man, are they really going to do this? <laughs> or, or is she going to fuck the boyfriend? Like, is that really about to happen? Right. And, you know, and it's the most low hanging fruit. But they, you know, but I like how the movie and the movie had no plan to do that. But I like how they set you up. I like how they are using these tropes and using these little things to make you think, you know, where things are going. And nope, we didn't get any sex. We got somebody waking up to sucking toes and shit, you know, (laughs) just like I like the way they did that, too, where she was watching that ghost do it. Mm-hmm. But in reality, it was the ghost through her doing it. Yeah. Like, I like the yeah. way that happened. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's set up for us. And that's the thing. It wasn't just like a gross sucking toes. That sets up. Now we understand how this ghost is manipulating her. That's well, what that scene was for. And on top of that, it was really disturbing because it wasn't just like, a, oh, I'm going to suck on a toe. She had his whole fucking foot in his mouth. So, like, I like the fact that it went, like, 
that it went really disturbing with that too. Like it went to the most unsexy version of that. Like, you know, cause for some people that is a sexy thing. I don't personally subscribe to that, but some people it is. I like that. They just went Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. But they just went, fuck all that. This is the most unsexy version of this. She is filleting his whole foot. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and the funny thing about the comedy, it also lended itself to some of the comedy because when the girlfriend finds out and goes, what the fuck? That got a laugh out of everybody in the theater. Like, right. and, and that, and that was the thing too. Like you would have, it wasn't like, oh, this is a comedy bit. You know what I mean? There, I don't think there was one single thing like that in this movie yet. I got, I laughed at some of the parts of this movie at how, characters were reacting because they were real just real reactions just stuff that a person would say that you imagine a person would say or something a mom might say or might do in the situation so there were parts where it got laughs out of me not because oh this is the funny joke and I'm supposed to laugh I was just laughing because characters were saying some shit. I would imagine like when the mom is like, look, if y'all are having some kind of party and she just did not believe them and she just kept egging them on. I was really like, liked that scene. Yeah. She, that was, that shit was great. Like, and yeah, he was, she was like her vagina off limits to you and all of that kind of stuff. Just, you know, when she felt like yeah, they I weren't being that. honest with her, she went just straight blunt with it and was like, nah, man, we're not having this shit. So that was some shit I could see a mom doing. So it was funny, but it was funny because it felt real. It felt natural. It didn't feel like, oh, this movie is trying to make me laugh in this moment. So even those moments I thought in this movie were very good. And um, and so by the time we got to the end uh, and, the, and, and, and it's happening, I just love the situation that this put me in and the feelings that I was having because I was like, Oh my God, what is going to happen? Is the sister going to get there? And Tom, is she really about to kill Riley? Are they going to be able to stop her? And if they stop her, how are they going to get rid of this ghost? That's manipulating her. Like, are they going to have to get the hand? What's going to happen? Like I was just, it had me, because I really didn't know how they were going to resolve this or how this was going to go. But I rest assured in the fact that she jumped because of a couple of different things. The The very first scene that we saw with Duckett, was that the name of the, the boy that killed himself? Um, foreshadowing so. in the first scene, he is sitting there in the bed at the party and we find out a little later, but at the time, but at that moment he's there because he had been possessed by this ghost from doing the talk to me stuff and couldn't shake it. Couldn't get rid of it. And what does Duckett do? He stabs his brother, somebody that he cares about, somebody who he cares about. Then in the realization that he might have stabbed or killed his brother, Duckett kills himself. And that's what ends the whole thing. 
that's our first clue right there that this character jumped right there was kind of the foreshadowing that 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 character that that character Duckett had to kill himself in order to rid himself of this possession ailment because it, it was too late at that point. And back to what kind of what you were saying, Sterling, about this 90 seconds and everything, perhaps Duckett was the one that created the litmus test for why we can only hold this for 90 seconds or whatever the case may be. Maybe Duckett was the first one to go beyond that. And that's how they knew. Or like you said, maybe it is something that was passed down or something like that, but maybe Maybe Duckett, since we did have a character die before we kind of saw Mia and these characters interacting with it, maybe Duckett was kind of the thing where they were like, okay, we can't go longer than this because Duckett went all crazy and shit. You know, maybe there's a a correlation there to how some of these characters came up with these rules. But, um, But I feel like that's your first clue. The next clue is the kangaroo. Um, you know, we we got the scene earlier where Mia's driving with Riley and there's the 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 kangaroo on the road and it's suffering and uh what does Riley say we got to put the 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 roo out of its misery and she's unable to do that. And so I think that it was great that whenever she towards the end when she sees that uh, that kangaroo jumping around in the hallway of the hospital or whatever, and they kept talking about put it out of its misery, put it out of its misery. There, they they played around with the double meaning to make it uh, unpredictable, and we're assuming that the putting out of the misery and, and the character is being manipulated to think the putting out of the misery is Riley. But I also think kind of with that realization you were talking about, Sterling, I do believe that there was a realization of the character that now I need to do what I wasn't able to do with that kangaroo. You know, I got to end myself. I've got to end. I've got to put myself out of the misery because ultimately it was me who was in misery. You know, it was me who was in misery and it was my sort of dependency on this that led to this whole thing. Also the heartfelt talk that she had with the mom and the mom was like, you know, I'm glad that you're here because ultimately uh, you're, you're, you're like a brother to, you're like a sister to Riley and you would do the right thing. You know, you're here. And I know that if you're here, um, you, you would protect him. He would feel good knowing that you were here. And I also think that was a clue too that, that 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 in the heat of that that in the midnight hour that this character would come back to that and would make the right decision to save him. So I have to believe because of all of that that it showed earlier and because of those talks and everything that it showed me with the kangaroo and the character at the beginning that she jumped to ultimately save him. And so whenever she wakes up as a ghost and we see that Riley is released from the hospital we see that the father did not die. He was saved. I just have to believe that this character made the right decision. So it's a tragic story, but it's also got a mix mixed with a little bit of uplift because at least the character went out on their terms. You know, they went out doing the thing that they needed to do to save 
the the people that they cared about. So it's a tragic story, but it's also kind of beautiful in that way, like that the character did that um, to ultimately save somebody that she had a connection with and who she cared about. Heather, what about you? Yeah, and like, yeah, no, I think that that lines up and that makes sense with ultimately the ending of this and everything. But, and I just feel like, well, maybe not, but I was going to say if, if at the end it was the sister, Riley's sister, uh, was her name Rachel? Am I making that up? I think her name was Rachel, right? Yes. Um, if, if she was going to be the one that was, that ended up pushing um, Mia, I don't know. I feel like there should have been a bigger moment between them maybe before that, that would kind of maybe indicate that that could be what's going on and that she's being brought into this in a different sort of way. Um, but yeah. So, I mean, and either way, I kind of like what Sterling said earlier, the outcome is no different either way, whichever way you believe it to happen. Um, still everything that happened would have happened. I, one thing I did want to say about the ending, um, like the very ending after Mia is, uh, dead and then she wakes up when she sees the group of guys you know like she's they're holding a hand essentially the the other hand we're assuming of the medium in Greece my question is unless I'm just like misunderstanding how this works it looked like all of the guys in that room could see her when he was touching hands with her and I feel like that's not something that happened in any other part of them, you know, reaching out onto the hand. Cause it was like only Mia could see whatever ghost she was seeing. Right. Or only, only the person who is holding that hand can see that ghost. But it looked like at the end of the movie with all of the other, the guys that she sees in front of her, um, that they're all able to see her. So I didn't know if anybody else noticed that or if we feel like that was intentional or if maybe that was just, you know, they they goofed up. I don't know. But I noticed that and I was just kind of curious. I was like, why would they all be able to see her? Because that's not how it worked, you know, when they played the game for the entire movie. Um, unless, again, I guess it could be another indicator that it is a different hand. Right. Because maybe there's different rules for it. Um, Maybe there's a different scenario that has to happen for whatever other hand that they might have at the time. So, yeah, I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that, but that was one of my questions I had about the ending of this movie. Oh, were you going to go or... (laughs) I was going to, but you looked like you were about to talk, so I waited. Okay. Um, I I can't say for certain that everybody in the room saw her. I think she could see them because, you know, once she made the connection with that guy and appeared there um, and everything from grabbing the hand, but it's hard to say whether if whether or not they were just bystanders 
and they were just sort of reacting because he was reacting, but couldn't see her. Um, I, I just can't say for certain they saw her. I I, I can yeah. only I can only assume that she came to the guy who had control of the hand and that and she appeared there and realized in that moment what she was um but 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 okay. I, I i yeah but i don't think i could say that i definitively knew that they all saw her i don't think i mm-hmm. could say that and i know that the i mean i wish i could remember what the guys were saying to each other when they were talking but I mean, it looked like at least the guy holding the hand and the guy next to him both like it looked like they were looking at her and like responding. But again, maybe I just was misinterpreting that. So that's why I wanted to see if anybody else thought what well, I thought with that. Well, with that, though, that whole shot is set up weird since they're now doing it from the point of view of the ghost instead of the person. Mm. It's weird, though, that everybody was sitting there on that side of the table staring at where the ghost would be yeah you know because they wouldn't be inside the person yet at that point yeah exactly you know but even on top of that like if you look at the way the kids were doing it you sit on the opposite side of the person not the ghost you know so that you can see the person when they're possessed that's not what the greek people were doing also i cannot remember for the life of me though if everybody gasps because in my head, I think I think you're right, though. I think multiple people go, mm-hmm. in that scene right. when she shows up. That's and what I thought, too. But based yeah. on the rules that they established, that wouldn't be the case. Now, I mean, but there are plenty of ways they can play with that, though. I mean, if it's, you know, the other hand, the, one could argue that the other hand does shit differently. Maybe the other hand, when you do it, pulls the ghost into that room and everybody can see it. I think that that personally would be a cool little twist mm-hmm. that each, you know, depending on which hand you have, it does something different. Right. You know? Um, yeah. But yeah, like there's multiple things about that. That's weird. I mean, I know why you would do that setup, like by having all the people over there just, you know, because you're now wanting to show it from the point of view of the ghost. But it's it doesn't make sense in the context of the people holding the hand. You know, you'd all be sitting there next to somebody possessed by a ghost if that's really how you're doing it. And that wouldn't be how you'd want to view it. You know. Right. Yeah, unless they were first time users and oh, trying to figure they it out. didn't know exactly. You know, that they could have been first time users that saw this done on a video, you know, on TikTok or whatever, because it was filmed by multiple cameras. And so maybe they didn't really it, maybe they didn't understand the positioning or anything like that. They're just like trying it and just, you know, reacting like, oh, shit, is it going to happen like it did on on TikTok or whatever? You know, it it could be that maybe these were some inexperienced uh, summoners also. And maybe yeah. that's why they were sitting on the wrong side. Although I totally agree, Sterling, like the shot was so you could see it from her perspective. That's the ultimate purpose of the shot. Right, right. But within the confines of the movie, 
I, you know, there's a, there's one possibility that maybe they didn't know what the fuck. They just kind of saw some videos and was (laughs) like, Hey, we got this hand. Let's see if we can do like we, like they were doing on TikTok. See if we can do it, you know, which if they, if they do make a sequel to this, and it actually just picks up right there where we left off. I think that'd be kind of cool because I'd like to see what happens there. Because, say, it is the user's first time doing it. It's also Mia's first time being a ghost that they are connecting with. So in either case, you're getting like a very first time experience with that if they pick up where they left off, which would be really cool. Um, I also did hear something about how, you know, what if in the sequel it is going to still be Mia, but it or partially be Mia, but the ghosts, it's going to be from the ghost perspectives in the sequel that they do, which would be interesting. But I still like the idea of how we did it in this one, but just different sort of stories and experiences that people were having with this situation. Of course, I think after a while that might get a little redundant for people. Um, which is why I think if it's different hands, that would be an interesting thing to play into it because different hands can bring different experiences with what this is, you know? So there's a lot of potential in different ways that they could do it and kind of open up this universe of movies because I could see this being a movie that has, you know, more than one sequel to it, you know, because it's just, it's interesting and you could really, get into the the lore of it kind of like what sterling said earlier um so i think it would be cool if they did i'm just curious to know if it is going to end up being now from a perspective of the ghosts or if it's just going to be what we had this time around um because yeah and and with that you made me think of something just before mm -hmm. you go to just to stay on this point real quick Mm -hmm. and with that there was that child ghost that let her in so that she could see Riley what was going on in the yeah so that she could see what was going on with Riley so Mm -hmm. you could totally have an opposite movie or do do the ghosts sometimes gather and (laughs) allow (laughs) humans to 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 go in I don't know but Mm. those but that was cool too how the rules can work the opposite way so a spirit can let you in that was interesting you know I I thought that that was interesting so you could totally play with that in a second movie as well I have some theories on that but Heather finished first (laughs) yeah so I and that was just one of the things that I was like oh like it just kind of threw me off that that was sort of how they ended it and not I mean, it being from her perspective was cool, but I was just kind of like, oh no, like how can everyone see her now? You know, or something, I don't know, something happened when she was traveling to them. I don't know, <laughs> like who knows what happened, but um, but yeah, I think like, and also I'm curious, it just makes me curious now too, the ghosts who, you know, get into the bodies of these humans do they remember it or not? I, I mean, I guess they they would because they're they would be learning more about whoever they're possessing. Well, well, well. Okay, are you asking? Do the people remember what happens while they're possessed, or do you, the, the ghost remember? Yeah. Well, to me, and it goes into my theory. I was just talking about. It really depends yeah. on how you look at it. Mm-hmm. Are these actually individual ghosts, or is this like? 
you know, or is this one ghost that's manipulating things? Or is this like ghosts that are attached to an entity that is manipulating things? Or is it, you know? Yeah. So maybe the ghost doesn't remember it specifically, but maybe the, you know, the, the entity does and it mm-hmm. then manipulates situations and all these other things, depending on how you want to look at it. I mean, I would assume that they remember something or it's not that they remember. It's just, it's a part of their existence now or something because that mm-hmm. old woman ghost that was sucking on that guy's foot was also the ghost that was in him. That was all horny. Oh, but right, then right, right. That's yeah. also the ghost that was at the end of the movie. that was quote unquote in Riley that she was pushing in the wheelchair. Mm, okay. Okay. Yeah. I didn't catch that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's the old burnt up lady, but I mean, and I'm, I'm assuming it's the same ghost that was in the boyfriend when he was possessed because that was the horny ghost and he was yeah. possessed by the horny ghost. So, mm-hmm. right. Yeah, and I think that um, Riley, I want to say his name is Joe Bird. I believe that's his name. Um, He was excellent. Like, his performance, like you said, Jason, is that is memorable. That is going to be the scene that that stands out to me in this movie. And honestly, I'm so happy that there was no even alluding to that in the the previews of the trailers of that happening. Uh, from what I remember, don't even remember at all seeing anything about that. And I'm very happy about that. So, but yeah, I think that, I mean, it's, it just kind of gives me vibes of the um, <laughs> kind of in hereditary, like the whole thing with, you know, the little girl's head coming off. <laughs> like I knew you were going to do that face, but just in the sense of like the whole, like, you might not think that that's the best movie overall, but wow, do you remember a lot of scenes from that movie? Or I did. There were a lot of scenes from that movie that just stuck to out to me. Yeah. You're you really <laughs> making a lot of assumptions if you think I'm actively remembering anything from that movie. I would never assume you to remember a single thing about Hereditary. But I do, like for me, and, you know, I, I don't know, for me there were a couple of scenes from that movie that I was like, I will never forget these scenes. And I think that this is kind of on that level with that of just when you think of this movie, what are you going to probably immediately think of? And it's going to be that scene with Riley just getting mangled by him, his own self. And well, you know, I think even leading up into that though, whenever he's sitting there and it's the quote unquote mom inside him. Yeah. And he's yeah. doing like that tear down the cheek. And yeah, I thought he was super so great as that. Like that and alone. I was yeah. like, yeah. fuck, dude. Yeah. Like this kid is out acting a lot of adults. Yeah. No, he really there. is. Yeah. And like, and it's definitely, yeah. I mean, yeah. So, so Sophie Wilde, is that her name? She definitely was like this, the star. She, she was this, she stole the show a little bit for sure. She was excellent, but I don't know. There was something about Riley's performance that was just like really captivating for any time he was really on screen for anything, you know, and then 
it was just, it was so hard to watch though, because you see him doing all of that. And then when he finally comes to again, when he's in the hospital, just to kind of like try to destroy himself again. And I'm like, uh, it was so hard to watch it, but like, man, he was committed to that. He was so good with everything he did in this movie. He was so good in all of it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. So, but yeah, I think, um, you know, I, and, and kind of a little bit what I meant about, I just, I don't think that there were a lot of good decisions made in the movie. Um, when, when you do look at it, the perspective of just sort of the mindset of people who have a, an addiction of some kind, what they're doing, it does make sense. And the fact, like you said, they are teenagers or they're supposed to be teenagers, but I'm just like, <laughs> I don't know. I just felt like Mia was very selfish in a lot of things. Um, you know, even putting herself in that position to like be spending the night with this guy that she clearly had sort of like a history with. And then um, the boyfriend not telling the girlfriend about that, you know, until he found out in public in front of everybody or she found out in public in front of everybody, you know, and then um, I don't know, just little things like that where you're and her just being like, I'm volunteering to go first and I want to keep doing this. And again, yeah, it is minds of somebody who has like a like an addiction to something and again, super vulnerable state that she was in because of the anniversary of her mom's death and all these things just really, really like desperate for a connection of some kind or something to just escape what was happening um, and how she felt and anything that would just get that. Even if that meant if I have a ghost inside of me, I'm not going to feel this pain, you know, and I completely understand that perspective and that being why she wanted to do it. But I don't know. I just feel like all of these kids, like looking at it from the perspective of it not being necessarily the allegory of addiction, but in general, the fact that they were playing with ghosts is just like, you know, asking for trouble on so many levels. (laughs) Like They just had no qualms about it. They were completely just like, you know what? This is hilarious and fun. And um, let's just keep getting different ghosts. You know, and even if they weren't all hostile or whatever towards them, it's like, you don't know if you might get one that is like Riley did or whatever, you know, like it's just, it just felt like, what are you guys doing? Like, what is this? And it just, it was frustrating because also just like nobody being concerned when anything like out of the ordinary was happening and they were just either laughing or filming it. And I'm like, yes, typical behavior of teenagers and whatever. But it just was all so frustrating to me. I'm like, what you guys have no, like, I don't know. It feels like you don't even care about each other with what you're doing, you know? So, yeah, but I, I like the fact that that's somewhat accurate. You're right. And it is. That's that's very true. But are you saying that if there was a hand that could do ghost shit like that, you wouldn't do it, Heather? I wouldn't. I would not. No, I would not. <laughs> I'd take a spin at it. I would be. I would be straight edge Jastin in that situation. I'd be staying so far away from that. I'd take but a spin. I no, would. I ain't messing with no ghost world. Get out of here. 
No. I ain't afraid of no ghosts. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> I have watched what? the yeah. Ghostbusters so many times. I ain't afraid of no ghosts. Bring You're it, prepared. bitches. Yeah. <laughs> I'm ready. I'd, I'd, I'd do it. Would you do it, Justin? Would you take a spin on the, the ghost bong? Man, it's kind of tempted, man. Ghost bong. You you could talk to one of your relatives, or or somebody a, posing as your relative. Exactly. Or <laughs> exactly. Like, I'm like, uh. like <laughs> <laughs> but see, I'm not. The, the idea of talking to a demon doesn't bother me either. So maybe I'm like double okay with that. I'm I'm cool either way. Just something to show up. That's all I. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Let's go. <laughs> I mean, but there's an off chance that. You know, I could get Macho Man or something. That might be kind of cool. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> well, you could um, also get Ted Bundy. You know what I mean? So, ew, what if you got Ronald Reagan? Ew. <laughs> would mm. you? Would you still want to take a spin at it? What would well, happen? See, but that's the thing. That's the glorious thing about it. When you do the hand and you say "talk to me," if Ronald Reagan appears, you just like go with the fucking hand. <laughs> and you blow you know up the candle. And then you wait 10 minutes and try again and hope yeah, you don't yeah. get Ronald. That's true. Cause it is, it is nice that they at least see who the ghost yeah. is before they let him in. But that's the thing is you don't have to let like, that's the thing. You could just wait around until you get a ghost that you're like, I like the look of this ghost. I'll let this one in. Like you don't have to let the ghosts <laughs> in if you don't want to. This you one can looks see friendly. Them first. Yeah. yeah. True. And you could talk to them. Without that initial, like whenever she got the child goes mm. and she was like, talk to me about this. Are there other, you know, are there other ones out there? Or she was like, yeah. is Riley out there? You know, can you show me, can you take me to Riley? And they were just talking. Or you with know, her mom. The ghost will yeah. just talk to you. Yeah. She did that with her so, mom too, didn't she? Yeah. I don't know. It just yeah. seems. Uh, all the fun in the world. You know, I just. I I feel like I would be too scared to do it, to be honest. But, I mean, you're right. It doesn't mean that all ghosts are bad ghosts. Maybe they're all Caspers. Maybe they're all super friendly. I don't know. You just got to watch some more Ghostbusters. Then you get hmm. not afraid. <laughs> yes. Yes. I Dude, but, I spent too much time as a child being like, I, 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 I ain't afraid no ghosts. Man, that carried <laughs> through. But I also am like that somewhat paranoid person. That is like somehow it would be during my turn that like something happens where the timing is off or somebody doesn't <laughs> let me out in time. And then I've opened this world up to them forever and it would be all on me. So I feel like I would just be too paranoid to like mess with that. See, I, I'd end up feeling like I'd have that Rorschach mentality. I'd be like, I'm not trapped in here with you, ghost. You're trapped in here with me. And then that ghost would be trying to get out and I'd be holding that hand and go, you're not going anywhere, ghost. Talk to me. Talk to me. Keep talking. Oh, my gosh. Like, what if ghosts are, like, bad at, like, giving social cues and, like, they want to leave and you're just holding on the hand and be like, no. No, you're going to keep talking to me. Yeah. Can a ghost ghost refuse a person? I want to (laughs) go. Like, if they say talk to me and, like, I guess they can't. Like, they don't have the power in that to say no. (laughs) Well, that's the thing is I would infinitely love being the ghost more, though. Because anytime you show up in front of the person, instead of before they can say, I let you in, you do it to them first. Go, I let you in. And the person goes, whoa. And you fuck with them that way. That's my line. (laughs) 
Yeah. Like, because the it shows that the ghost could do it. So if I was a ghost, I'd be doing it to everybody. I'd be like, oh, you thought I was going in you? No, you're going to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you That's absolutely, would you would be, you would be. I'd be a menace either way. <laughs> yeah, but, no. But yeah, maybe not the possession part, but man, the ability, if I've had, if you had the ability to talk to ghosts, I mean, just think of all the interesting conversations you could have, you know, and now you might get that ghost that maybe is not a very good conversationist, but <laughs> social cues. You, I don't know. You, you I get think that that's one a risk awkward, I'm willing to take. You get that one awkward introverted ghost and you're like, what's up, ghost? He's like, hi. Yeah, yeah. What's it like being a ghost? It's okay. Yeah, you get one of them. That also would probably be something you did to troll people if you were a ghost, Sterling. Just to be like, I'm not actually going to say anything, but because <laughs> I know you desperately Dude, want me. That to would know. even be funnier as a ghost if you like possessed them and then you just sat there. <laughs> you just didn't do anything. You just sat there, like, uh, like cool. <laughs> All right. And then for 90 seconds, everybody's just staring at you and filming you. And you've just got those weird black ghost eyes, you know, yeah. possessing them. And you just don't do anything. And like, yeah, that's their way of kind of being like, you know, I just want to see what it's like to be you <laughs> kind of thing. Like, I don't know. But I mean, I guess maybe if it was just talking to a ghost, maybe I would do it. I still feel like I'd be like terrified. But Yes. Because, like, oh. what state are you seeing them in, too? You know, like, it looked like these ghosts were not, uh, you know. It's probably the state in which they died. Right. That's so your typical like, ghost mm-hmm. lore is the state in which they died. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I, th- I think that'd be fun. I'd do it. I, I'd yeah. little men. I'd do all that shit. Hmm. All right. So, yeah. I'd want to go into one of them. Yeah. I Dude, I think that'd be fun as shit. <laughs> I want to see the I want to see the world in which they live. Like especially if they look like they're a new ghost and they're kind of confused, you just go, "What am I supposed to say?" And then they go, "I let you in," and you go, "Ha!" And then you jump in them. And you're like, "Ha! Gotcha!" <laughs> yep. <laughs> let me look around. You have all of the tricks. All of the tricks. <laughs> Told you, I'd be a menace. You you would be wrecking things up in either world. <laughs> I would. Oh, man. I'd all be up in the underworld going like, look at me now, bitches. <laughs> yeah. Like, the thing is, though, is I, I don't think that little... I'm actually kind of torn, though. I don't think that you the ghost actually lit anybody in. I don't think that's real. I think that that was all fake bullshit to fuck with the girl's mind. Because they were kind of hinting at that there was like an entity or a group of ghosts, not all ghosts, but a group of ghosts, or something that was like pulling the strings. There was like this malevolent force kind of behind things. And because they say early in the movie, if you die with the ghosts in you, you join them, you know? And I would assume that not all the ghosts that are possessing people were consumed by this or whatever, because like, then that means there's just hundreds of people that have all gotten with that hand, you know? But you know, maybe the ones that were influenced by the hand or dead with the hand, those are the ones that are corrupted or whatever, because that's what it's trying to do. Like, that's why the ghost wanted, you know, them to kill Riley is so that Riley would be stuck with them. But I think they also wanted her to die herself, like Justin implied too. 
Like they both die. So you get two. You get two souls instead of one. Because I think that that's what yeah. they were referencing earlier with what's his, what's that guy's name? Decutter or whatever? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Is because he tried to kill his brother uh, too. Yeah. And yeah. if his brother had a little bit of ghost left in him, because I think Riley would have gotten better over time. I think that that part was accurate, that over time the ghosts lose their power. But I think that that's why they were really fucking with Riley is, A, she was the one that was mentally vulnerable and they had been inside her. So they know this. She's mentally vulnerable. She's the one that would, it would almost be, she'd be the one that would be the most willing to constantly keep coming back to them, you know? So which keeps their power from waning also. She, he says, as long as you're not doing it, it goes away. So she's the one that's keep doing it. She's doing it by herself at her house. She's doing it in the hospital. So she's keeping the ghost strong, you know, in her and, or the ghostly influence in her strong and all those things. And so, you know, there, I, 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 like I said, I don't think she actually went in that ghost. I think that that was all the ghosts like that were in her head fucking with her, like they had done with her dad. You know, yeah. and like they were doing with her mom and all this other stuff. They were just in her head fucking with her. You know, like being like, hey, you he's in hell. Right. He's in hell being tortured. And the reason why I or like a hell like place being tortured and all these things. And the reason why I think that is there's nothing that says that that'd be the case. And that's why the, it would the, the way the movie presents itself in the end is that he was still in his own body. It's just those ghosts were in there, too. But they faded and he got better. You know, so I think that that was just, you know, some mental fuckery. Yeah, I think you could yeah. be right about that because that was the entire goal of the ghost was to manipulate her and get her to to join them. The, the, that's exactly what they were trying to do. They were trying to get her to take a soul and, you know, and join herself. So I think that's. That it would make sense if that was a manipulation as well, because I mean, we had seen so many other ones, you know, making them think that your dad's going to attack you, so you need to scissor stab him, or your, uh, you know, like uh, we saw a lot of manipulations and illusions that the ghost was able to play on her because of her depressive and just very like grieving mental state. So it makes sense that those would all be manipulations. It makes sense. And, and lead her to this path. And she just in that final moment overcame it enough to end herself. But either way, they still got one. So, yeah, I think in the end, the ghosts are happy either way they get one, they get two. They want as many as they can, but shit, if they only get the one, hey. We got you. Yeah. But, you know, they're business people. They'll try for two, though. Yeah. They'll still try for two. You know, that's just good economics. If you can get two for the price of one, you do it. Like, you take that <laughs> coupon. You know, worst case scenario, the store says, nah, we don't validate. Yeah, you still get your one, though. It's fine. Yeah, sometimes that's just the 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 math that you have to deal with. You know, you would take what you can get at times. See, um, now, now I want to write a spec script based on this movie 
of just like, you know, for like movie six where it's just a guy fucking with the ghosts and all this shit, just fucking with them. God, I want to do that now. That would be fun. That would be a lot of fun. Also, also, since the person who could make the uh, the physical person, these are these hands belong to someone who is dead. Can he, as a ghost, grab his own hand and well, that's the thing, connect is, with somebody? What if that is the ultimate malevolent force behind everything? Is this medium ah, that was doing it? The, yeah, like, the medium was trying to figure out a way to like capture ghosts or whatever like siphon power from them or something and that's mm-hmm. where this whole thing comes from and like mm-hmm. say like he was trying to do all that but he was like like they're dying or something so they're like well fuck it we're gonna cut off my can my hands and we're gonna cast spells and so even when i die i'm still gonna be able to do this and get spirits and ghosts pulled into me yeah or something or what if he's dead, tr- still trying to find a way to get back to the real world? If I can get to somebody, you know, so my hands are still out there. They still give me a chance, you know. I'm yeah. here now, but I can get. Maybe I can get back. Maybe that's that wet old guy that she saw, the very first ghost we see in the movie. That wet old guy. Huh. Maybe that's him. Hmm. You guys got any more thoughts though about this movie? I think I'm good. I'm good. On that note, thank you guys for listening to this episode of the Cinema Slayers podcast. Check us out on the internet at www.cinemaslayers.com. Facebook, we're Cinema Slayers podcast. Cinema underscore Slayers on Twitter, Instagram, and threads. Cinema Slayers pod on TikTok, at Cinema Slayers pod on YouTube. Uh, Give us a five-star rating and review. We'd really appreciate it. Really help us out. Tell your family, tell your friends, tell your friends, family, tell your family's friends. And most of all, tell those dear sweet mothers because dear sweet mothers love. Haunting people. Sucking feet. Mm, Right. Sucking feet. Yes. And haunting people while they haunt people. Yes. Hauntingly sucking feet. There we go. Because there's no way to suck a foot like that. And it's not haunting. Mm -mm. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) The scariest scene in that whole movie. It's really, really disturbing, I'll be honest. I mean, she just put a whole mouth on it like it was a BK burger. She, or and she had no teeth, which is the only type of person that would eat a BK burger. So, oh. Justin, I see you have teeth, and I notice you still haven't probably eaten Burger King, so my statement's accurate. Um, the shifty eyes, the shifty eyes. Shout out to Plug Migo and Mundo Cho for our theme song and logos, respectively. Just remember here at the Cinema Slayers podcast, we were both pro-slut and pro-Sydney. And we also think you are enough. Yes. Nice. And as I always in these podcasts, TikToks, and YouTube videos, just remember, according to Justin, Moon Knight is the Best Picture winner. I was waiting on some Burger King retort, Jasper. <laughs> I was just going to say, what if, what if you connected with one of those ghosts that was like, do you want Burger King? I would, would destroy like, that hand. 
<laughs> I'd break it. <laughs> I'd break it with the door open so like the ghost would be double trapped or something. What if you're met <laughs> face to face with whoever invented Burger King? The the Burger King himself? Yeah. Oh, I'd pull sick. him into my body so that he would understand the disgust and putridness <laughs> he had brought into the world. And I wouldn't let him out. He'd be stuck in me forever just being surrounded by the pure hatred of Burger King that resides within <laughs> my soul. Oh, my gosh. I thought you were going to say you would you would go into him, then you could just see the world of burgers in his head. Justin, just there are the, some ghosts you don't want to go into. <laughs> Hitler, Reagan, the founder of Burger King. But you could be inside him and have nothing but burgers. I would rather just die than have those burgers, though, Justin. <laughs> you wouldn't know the intricate secrets of BK. There's not any. No. It's just serve <laughs> subpar food, charge a bunch of money, and have people think it matters because it's flame broiled. It's on a flame conveyor belt. It ain't shit. You would just go in, read the ingredients of what they do or something, or the methods of how they cook them and stuff, and you would go, I <laughs> know these things. Garbage. You make it sound like it's some gigantic secret. They don't have a secret recipe. No. It's give a shitty burger and put some flame on it and call it a day. That's the, that's in the Burger King employee manual. <laughs> they purposely look for the shitty burgers. Yes. Do you think they can afford quality meat, Justin? No. It's just like with Michael Scott when he's like on their $0 a year salary. You think they can afford prime meat? I drive by there every day, and it doesn't strike me as a building that would have bad meat. just doesn't look like that kind of building. Justin, you can't even confirm that that Burger King has any meat in there. I mean, I can't. (laughs) If we were in a court of law and a judge or a lawyer asked you, could you confirm nor deny if there was meat in there? And you'd go, well, I heard there was. And they'd go, objection, hearsay. And the judge would be like, sustained. And you'd be like, well, I guess I can't actually confirm it. That. You just got Phoenix right. Righted. Damn. Man, I might just have to mislead him a little bit. Just tell a little whopper. Just a whopper. Not a, a big lie. Just a objection bullshittery yeah why don't you want a whopper because justin you don't even want one (laughs) we had a deal for you to make me eat a whopper on camera and you still went nah i still won't eat it (laughs) right man all right, I'll just put it to bed. I'll give up for the day. But I still, I don't care. No matter what you say, Heather still ate on those orange tots. But notice how she didn't have a burger. She just doesn't remember. She no, she a, does. She distinctly she remembered was, eating chicken fries, Shastin. <laughs> she was a young lass. She, mm. does, she just doesn't remember that part. Just a young lass. She remember, but I'm sure she had a burger. 
No comment. <laughs> Damn. This is you guys' fight. Your battle. Hey, Justin's the one that always tries to pull you in. <laughs> <laughs> Which I actually appreciate, but I just don't. Again, I'm indifferent. <laughs> Does anybody actually appreciate being pulled into a Burger King debate? I appreciate I appreciate being pulled into a conversation, but I am just very <laughs> indifferent to Burger King and all things Burger King. Because, yeah, I'm, I'm letting you in. I let you in. <laughs> yes, you did let me in. She's doing a version of no. what I was talking about doing it, like to fuck with the kids. <laughs> like you let her in, and she just sits there going, "I don't care." <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I ain't going to do what you I, want. I care about your conviction of your love for Burger King, though you haven't eaten it in over a year. <laughs> <laughs> look, I look, I'm just trying to let the right ones in. You know? Apparently the you right, one the right ones. <laughs> you got to be the right one. Mm, right. It's not Burger King. King. <laughs> He's objectively saying the right one is not Burger King. You heard it here first. Jason is explicitly saying that Burger King is not the right burger to be let in. Oh, man. Damn, I got to hurry up and eat one of these burgers, man. You're making me feel guilty about this. I got to eat one. That's all you got to do, Justin. You eat one and you take away 90% of my argument against you. All right. Right away in 2024, I'm going to eat one. <laughs> And the best thing about it, too, is when you eat that one, you're just going to sit there thinking, fuck, Sterling's right. <laughs> I know. Don't get me wrong. I know you won't say it. That's fine. <laughs> but you'll know it. And that's all that matters. In your heart of hearts. Yeah. No, I'm going to chew on it and just go, mmm. I'm going to text you that, mmm. <laughs> you'll know what I'm doing. I, I like the idea of that. When you just sit there and go, mmm. Oh no. <laughs> All right, I'm out of here.